0: Hello everyone, I am your host Alejandro Colindres. Welcome to series one of the podcast, The Road to Champagne, 13 Tested Principles to Drive Your Career to Success. This podcast series will benefit professionals that have room for growth in their career, especially young professionals. We will explore one principle at a time. You can see the framework in the website RoadToChampagne.com. It has three parts, shape your mindset, build your brand, and be the driver. Today, we continue part two on how to build your brand. We'll explore principle number seven, stick to your values. Values are one of the key elements of self-awareness, but they deserve their own standalone episode. As a quick refresher, values are a set of integrated beliefs that you hold as guiding principles. They help you define your judgment and character and very importantly, help you navigate life's decisions, including career ones. Our values were defined by our upbringing, context and experiences. Every individual has a set of values, but not all are able to effectively express what those values are. Your values are like a compass that helps point you in the right direction in your career and life. But when you don't truly understand your values, it is more difficult to understand the right direction to pursue. Should you go for career option A or B or C? Should you express interest in project one or two or three? Even in daily matters, how should you react to what you heard and saw in that meeting? When you clearly understand and can articulate your values, you can be more effective at doing a few key activities, including 1. Make the best decisions for your career and life. 2. Prioritize between competing choices. We all have demands pulling us in different directions at once, and we must choose who to please and who to disappoint in specific situations. Understanding your values also helps make quick decisions because you know if a potential choice is misaligned with your values. To understand your values, you can rely on available online assessments similar to the ones that gauge your self-awareness, but a good self-introspection with pen and paper can do the trick too. In my book, I suggest a list of values from mindtools.com as a good menu to pick from. I know my values well, and according to a recent assessment, they include hard work and diligence, ethics, power and influence, competitiveness, spirituality, knowledge, diversity, and empathy. Each of these is somehow reflected in my life choices and day-to-day events. One not detected by the assessments is dissent. One of the McKinsey values that stuck with me is uphold the obligation to dissent. It means that I am expected to voice my disagreements even if it goes against what the CEO wants to hear or what the entire team believes. McKinsey is empowering its consultants and demanding that different views be brought to the table. Why? Because it correctly knows that such dynamic enriches the conversation by exposing views, risks, or implications that may not have been considered. Therefore, the probability of arriving at the optimal solution is increased. I know that, so I can't hold back if I have a valid point contrary to everyone else in the room. I see it as a way to add value to high-impact executive decisions. That's a quick example of a value at play in my day-to-day life. To help me dive into this topic, I am very excited to be joined by Risa Lawrence, Risa is a Vice President of Corporate Strategy and Business Development at Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. We used to be teammates until I left and joined a commercial division within the same company. Risa has worked in leading companies such as Goldman Sachs, American Express, Tyco, and others. She has a Harvard MBA, a sharp sense of humor because she cracks up at all my jokes, and understands the importance of values very well. I do know because I got to know her very well during these past years. Risa, welcome to the Road to Champagne podcast, What a joy to have you here. How are you?
1: Excellent. Thanks, Alejandro, for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Welcome. Glad you could join. For sure. There is one specific value in your value set that is very external-facing. It is generosity. Can you share how that value led you to take action in Jamaica, where you have a lot of family?
1: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You know, Alejandra, I was born in the concrete jungle of New York City, Brooklyn, to be exact. (laughs) Nice. Uh, You know, my my parents are are immigrants from the great island nation of Jamaica, as you mentioned. Despite them coming to the U.S. for for college, graduate school and life in general, they they always kept a, a really, really strong connection with Jamaica. So much so that when I was a child and even when I was in college every summer and practically every Christmas season was spent in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. When I would go to Jamaica, there would always be two large suitcases assigned to my name. In those two suitcases would be a combination of things for me and things for other people. So about one-fourth of the space was taken up with, you know, my stuff. And the remaining 75% of the two suitcases was packed with stuff that my mom sent, like clothes or toiletries, non-perishable food. Toys for kids, and these were not for me.
0: Hmm, Nice.
1: Yeah. In fact, my mom always sent these items for for less fortunate people in Jamaica, for kids in orphanages, members of poor communities, and and generally people that were just less fortunate. That's awesome. Funny thing is that, you know, these items weren't just like put in my suitcase and dropped off somewhere. We were heavily involved in literally passing out items at orphanages or driving through underprivileged communities and, and giving out toys to babies and kids cooking meals, handing them out to Jamaicans Mm. all over the island. And, you know, Alejandro, I can remember this from as far back as, like, age five or six. Wow. As I got older, definitely continued to do this. And, you know, when I was in high school and and college, when I'd go there over the summer, I observed my granddaughter, whose name is Grace Lawrence, everyone in our family calls her auntie. So, you know, I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. expose a little bit of my culture here. So everyone calls her auntie. So I'm going to call her auntie as I kind of tell this story. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so she's technically my grand but she's literally my third grandmother and she's, she's fairly well known on the Island. She was a teacher at, in a pu- public government school in Jamaica for over, over 35 years. So she's someone who's clearly devoted her her professional life to education, both, mm-hmm. both formally and informally. And it's really her informal practices that kind of, opened my eyes to the value lever of generosity. And there are probably 10 million examples of that. But when I was in high school, I remember going back there three months every summer and I stayed with auntie and every single weekday, she would have anywhere between like six to 10 kids crammed into the front veranda. In Jamaica, you know, we call the front porch of veranda. And auntie would spend, you know, two to three hours teaching students math, grammar, and science. And then on the weekends, auntie would teach adults who didn't know how to read. She would teach them literacy and teach them wow. how to read. excellent. And I, yeah, and I thought this was so nice of her to do. And, you know, during my summer college visits, I became, you know, one of her assistants. So I was helping out with the teaching as well. So I started giving back from then and I didn't even realize it. And it wasn't until a family dinner back in 2010 or 2011, I can't remember, but auntie revealed to us that she wasn't charging any of these students, like nothing. She was doing it because she said it was the right thing to do and if she can have yeah. the ability to help then she'll help. So I thought that was um that was really impressive and you know we have a lot of different family members so some people when they learned that she was doing it for free were like popping out their laptops and trying to create a business plan so that we could create a profitable enterprise and you know she she was not she was not for that. She said that she would never charge for helping people. So when I think about you know why I started Grace Scholarship Fund and I know you didn't necessarily ask me about that yet but Th- that's kind Oh, of,
0: please explain it. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm super excited to talk about Grace Scholarship Fund. So, you know, when I think about why I started it, you know, Auntie's values were really the driving force behind that. I wanted to be a part of, you know, her innate desire to, to help people, you know, reap the benefits from education. So in 2014, I launched the Grace Scholarship Fund um, with a very focused mission of helping to financially support educational desires of disadvantaged youth in Jamaica. That wanted to attend college or trade schools. So trade schools is a big part of it because um, those skills are, are really needed, and you can get really you know well-paying jobs for those. So that, that's part of our our thrust as well. And it started as a grassroots effort with me reaching out to friends and family to ask them to donate, and then you know pooling the money, adding some of my own. And the first year we gave out five students scholarships. Um, you know here we are several years later. We've given out you know near 60 scholarships and, and millions of dollars to students, millions Amazing. of Jamaican dollars of course. Um those numbers are kind of a drop in the bucket because um, there's so much more change that's needed but this is my way of giving back and I have to say it's really satisfying and it's funny that we're we're doing this podcast today cuz last night I literally received an email from one of the past scholarship recipients who literally grew up with nothing and hmm. she is now a dentist wow and she wrote back saying that the reason that she was able to matriculate in the dental program at the University of West Indies was because of our scholarship Wow. I mean, amazing. it was it was just a great email. It just warms my heart. So I, I'm really looking yeah. forward. Yeah, I'm looking forward. We have our next scholarship um in ceremony in September of this year. And, you know, hopefully we can do more of the same.
0: That's awesome. I really love that story. And I also like, Risa, how you can trace back where that value originated from. You know, it, it's so cool how you can say, oh, you know, when I was five years old, this happened. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's what happens to many of us, right? Sometimes we don't consciously remember or can tell the story, but as we grow up, the context around us, our family, what we see starts embedding what do we appreciate, what do we value, mm-hmm. right? And in your case, uh, we're talking about generosity. So it's it's awesome how you can trace it back and and how you had that great example within your family. And I'm glad you got that email because that's a confirmation that you're doing the right thing.
1: Yeah, so Auntie is now 95 years old, hmm. and I want to let you know that I talk to her almost every day, and she still teaches on her front veranda. Now she only does wow. she only does it three days a week, so she's kind of you know taking it down a level. But she's still she's still giving back at, at the ripe old age of ninety five.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. So we'll send a hug to Auntie Grace for her awesome work. Awesome, <laughs> Risa. In the corporate world and in the companies that you've worked with, how does this value come into play?
1: I've been fortunate to to work with companies that include philanthropy or or generosity as a key value. So professionally, there there's there've been many opportunities to involve myself in some sort of corporate volunteer activity. You know, I've handed out on behalf of my company, the companies I've worked for, I've handed out meals at food banks, you know, I've assisted in building homes for the less fortunate, you know, I've been part of the make a wish foundation, a mentor for college students. So thankfully I haven't had to look too hard for, for opportunities to kind of flex that generosity lever with the companies that I work for. But one thing I do know is that, you know, if I, if I was, presented with an opportunity to work with a company where philanthropy or generosity wasn't kind of innate and in something that's a, a pillar of their the, the foundational elements of their employee base or what they're trying to encourage, I probably wouldn't choose to work there. So that's something that I've, I have started to realize in the last like five to 10 years that that needs to be part of the ethos of the companies that I work for.
0: Risa, give us an example of how a different value led you to make certain career decisions.
1: I probably choose a lever of the value of, of growth so I graduated from Northwestern uh, with a degree in industrial engineering and management science, and I was accepted into a pretty uh, what some would call elite development program. It was a three-year program, different rotations that had me um, taking on different engineering management roles, literally across the world, Europe and North America. So I was exposed to engineering management, and you know that was definitely the career path that I was that I was on, and you know thought was the right thing to do. I did a great job when I completed the program in that I got an offer uh, with the same company. And that would have been the right thing to take and do if that was where I wanted to grow my career. But, you know, while during the program, I got exposed to the engineering discipline, but it also exposed me to other functions like corporate strategy, business development and finance. And I, I decided and learned that that's actually where I wanted to grow my career in those areas, not necessarily engineering management. So I decided that I needed to change course and that meant I kind of needed to press pause on my career um, so that I could upskill and make myself marketable to roles that were related to corporate strategy, business development or finance. I needed to get some additional education and training in the, in these disciplines. As an engineering major, I was pr- primarily working in, in that capacity and learning in that capacity. So I'd have to upskill uh, to pitch for some of these other roles. So that's where I decided to press pause to attend business school. Sometimes in order to grow, you need to stop or to press pause, right? And so I I pressed pause on my career so that I could grow my career two years after engaging in some upskilling at business schools. So, you know, sometimes to achieve growth, you literally have to stop. And and that's what I did. I stopped my career for two years, went to business school. And, And that's what I did. And I think it worked out really well. So that's probably one of the value levers I talk about that kind of drove my career decisioning.
0: Great. Thanks for sharing that. So Risa, as you know, we are in part two within the framework, we are understanding how to build your brand, but we're talking about values, mm-hmm. right? Because there is a connection. So my question to you is what role do your values play in your professional brand?
1: Interesting question. So I would say that the role that my values play, hopefully they're the defining characteristics of my professional brand. Professionally, I want people to think of my values when they think of Rissa Lawrence. For example, some people like to be introduced as John Doe that went to XYZ University or Jane Doe, whose title is ABC. Personally, I'd like to be known as Rissa Lawrence, who is generous, a hard worker, has integrity, has humility and is overall a fun person to work with. So, you know, my answer is pretty straightforward. I I want my my values to define my brand, to be the definition of my brand.
0: That's a great point. And as we will do in a couple of episodes, we're going to explore how exactly, you know, the values plus the other elements that we're exploring in this part should come together within your brand. But thanks for sharing that because you're giving us a sneak peek of the importance of the values when it comes to how you want to be recognized or differentiated. Mm -hmm, So what practical advice would you have for our audience around how they can better be attuned to their values?
1: You know, I have a practice that I do every six to 12 months. And that practice is you know, opening up my resume and updating my resume and looking at my resume. And it's not because I'm looking for a job, but it's more so that I can see what I've accomplished professionally, put that down on paper, and see what I need to check off next on the list, right? So I, I, I kind of do that at least once a year. And in terms of advice as it relates to values and, and being in tune with them, like I encourage everyone to kind of do the same practice as it relates to their values. You know, the, the list that you have, um, of the values. I would just suggest going through that list, checking off your values. Have you been executing against them? When you look at the last 12 months of your professional career, have you had integrity in everything you do? Have you have you been a hard worker? Have you had empathy towards other people? Yeah. And I think sometimes we lose sight with everything going on, the day to day. You kind of lose sight of, of certain things and you you might not pay as much attention to your values, but I encourage everyone to just have a check-in with yourself once a year. What's important to you? Have you been living up to those values? And, and ask yourself the question. And for some people, it's putting it down on paper and, and, and tracking it, however you do it. But I think it's just having routine check-ins on your values.
0: Great. Risa, so tell us about a time when your values were tested. What was the situation and how did you proceed? Hmm.
1: Empathy is a value. Uh, it's an important one of mine. And in a previous role at a previous company, I had a boss. So really smart person, super successful, generally well-liked but they they lacked empathy. And that kind of came to light in in a scenario. There was a coworker, a pair actually, that was having some personal issues and needed to take a couple days off of work. Nothing too crazy. And during a team meeting, our respective boss asked my colleague, do you think that your personal life is more important than your job? If you do, then I I probably can't take you seriously. Hmm. That was in the middle of a group of about 15 people. And so after the meeting, my colleague, you know, who was a friend, uh, left and and came to my cubicle and and started crying and explaining how it was fine, you know, that our boss didn't want them to take the day off. But what was awful was how the boss made her feel like crap, like she didn't matter. So that really moved me. And I literally, uh, this was many years ago, I walked into my boss's office and shared my opinion of of why I thought it was really important to have a little bit more understanding for my colleague in the situation long story short, Alejandro, the boss didn't really care too much about what I had to say, so I wasn't very effective. But I spoke up in alignment with my values. And you know, the lesson learned here was that three months later, that same colleague left the company for a better opportunity with a nicer boss. But the nicer boss was the real reason, you know, why my colleague was leaving. Until this day, I'm still friends with that colleague, and they've never forgotten how that boss made them feel. and, you know, Maya Angelou has a quote and, you know, this may or may not be verbatim, but it goes something like, at the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or what you did. They'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And I really live by that ethos and it's, it's the foundation of respecting other people and, and that's empathy.
0: Risa, so if I was in that meeting and your boss asked me that question, I would have said, of course, my personal life is more important than my job. And, you know, to be honest, my career is actually number four in my priority list. Mm -hmm. You know, you might think it's number one because I'm spending time talking about it, but it's not. There's other things that are more Mm -hmm. important. I would not sacrifice my health over a job. And I would prioritize, you know, my family over a job because family is permanent and a job is not. So you cannot really believe that you owe your loyalty to your boss and not to other aspects of your life. I think we need to be well-rounded, right? You need to perform and you need to be recognized as a high-performing professional in whatever field you are, but you must not lose sight about how it fits into the overall perspective of mm-hmm. your life. But yeah, let me give you an example. Earlier in my career, you know, one of my values was tested, uh, the value of integrity. I think I mentioned it mm-hmm. earlier. The company was going to go through an external audit and one of the KPIs or metrics that they were going to gauge us on was not acceptable. It was not good. And my boss asked me to change it Mm -hmm. and I refused, you know, to me, that's, that's unethical. What I did instead was created an action plan for how we were going to turn around that metric. And when the auditor came and I was the one explaining, you know, those particular metrics, I said, Hey, listen here, we're not doing well, but we know why. And this is what we're going to do about it. And guess what? The auditor was pleased, you know, that we were aware that we had a plan and we passed the inspection. So I felt really good that I did not cave in, in into that pressure. I stood up for what I believed and we got the outcome that we wanted. So, you know, that was just a lesson early on earlier in my career that you do have to stick up for your values. You know, you cannot just be tossed like the wind, uh, depending on what other people want. Awesome. Rissa. so I'm going to pass on the mic to you and let you ask me a question. Okay.
1: Um, wow, this is fun. I'm enjoying this part of, of our conversation. <laughs> I would love to hear more. You, you mentioned that one of, one of your values that's, that's kind of core to who you are was hard work. So I would, I would love to. I've certainly experienced it um, in working with you over the last few years, but I'd love to hear a little bit more from you about what that means to you and how you kind of flex that.
0: Yeah, sure. So hard work is something I value. I appreciate it. It doesn't have to be strenuous work. You know, I believe in efficient and effective work instead. But the reason why that value came up in those assessments is because I'm not afraid to put in the hard work to get the high quality output that I'm working towards, whether it's on the personal front, for example, running half marathons. You know, when I first ran my first half marathon, my time was two hours, 20 minutes, and I was not pleased with that result. It happened due to some injuries. So I worked hard over the next few years to take my time down to one hour and 37 minutes. And it took a lot of effort. You know, it took a lot of training in the gym, but I was just determined to get under the one hour, 40 minute bar. And professionally as well, you know, I'm not afraid to work hard or to not sleep or to do whatever I need need to do so that I am proud of what my deliverable is. And unfortunately, it's not something that I see all around me. You know, some people are not like that. You know, I see 23-year-olds that are whining because they get an email at 7 p.m. And it's great to have work-life balance, I believe, but at the right time in your career. When you're 23, you should be concerned about how do I build expertise? How do I create the right value that I need? How do I learn more? You need to put in the effort, right? And then later in life, you know, once you have valid reasons like family and other priorities... Of course, work life balance is critical. What I'm saying is, you got to put in the hard work. I put it in my earlier years, and it has helped me be able to think hey, if I need to do this next week, I know I can because I know I have the effort and the drive inside me to come up with a great output. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what that value means, you know, or at least that's how I interpret it when it comes up in those assessments.
1: Got it. You know, I've been able to kind of be a personal witness to your hard work and efficient work, which I think is um, just another thing that I would add is that I think you're, I've seen you be a hard worker, but you're also efficient. I think when you combine those two, that's when you kind of reach like, you know, the apex.
0: Yes, correct. You know, just strenuous effort, you know, that that could not be good. That's actually a sign Mm -hmm. that you need to just become more and more efficient. Mm -hmm. So once you become efficient and you put in the effort, I think you're in a good spot. Risa, each of our audience members is on their journey to success, trying to get to their champagne that professional stage would desire and work towards. What is the main thing you want our audience to remember when they think about why they should stick to their values?
1: Sticking with your values is is extremely important, because I think in life, you know, we can get so distracted with with everything that's going on, and you kind of just can make decisions without putting much thought to it, both professionally and, and personally. You know, a lot of the the values that we talked about, Alejandro, we talked about them in a professional setting, but they're also the same values that kind of drive life decisions for me. So if I were to make decisions without doing the value checkoff list before them to help me, you know, filter the decisions or choose A versus B or C versus D, I, I would probably not be in a great place. So, you know, if there's, you know, any success to be had, I think it's for me because I was able to, you know, apply values to to decision-making. And I I would encourage everybody to do that because if you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants with no real anchor or no real, you know, guiding principle, you're you're probably not going to have a great flight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And as I was reading the book, it made me think I was like, you know, these are my values, but it doesn't mean that I shouldn't explore other values and try to generate some skills around that. Like, I don't know that I'm the most competitive person, but maybe, you know, I should kind of flex that and have more of a spirit of a competitive nature. If you have your core but don't be afraid to expand out of your core. Excellent,
0: Risa Lawrence, thank you so much for joining me today and exploring this powerful principle. I enjoyed a lot hearing your perspective.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me, Alejandro. This was a lot of fun. I hope you invite me back for a future cast.
0: All right. Awesome. <laughs> Remember, everybody, you can and must take action to start unlocking the power of this principle in your life. It is a critical component of helping you define in which direction to grow and in helping you get there. Values are a critical element of self-awareness, which we explored in Episode 6. You need to be clear what your values are. If you are not, select an online assessment. Use your values to help you make the best career and life decisions, decisions that are well aligned with your values. And use them to gauge if your behaviors are consistent with who you truly are, and course correct when needed. Values will come into play when you craft your professional brand statement, which we'll discuss in a couple of episodes. But first, let's meet again in Episode 8 where we will explore why you must build expertise. This is huge when building your professional brand. I have another brilliant guest lined up for you. Thank you for joining me in this episode. I hope you are inspired by this principle. So cheers to your success on your road to Champagne. Please don't forget to visit roadtochampagne.com and join our mailing list to download the framework we are using. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, colleagues, and classmates. Send your comments via the website's contact page and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Road to Champagne on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.